morning, everybody, and welcome to another very special Easter edition of Ignite Radio Live. Over the five mighty stations of Annunciation Radio. We are Greg and Stephanie Schleter, and very blessed to be with you tonight with two guests whom we will introduce very shortly. And uh, you may get a different tone here tonight, and that's intended. Uh, We want to have this upbeat Easter anticipation, certainly of the outpouring of the Holy Spirit on Pentecost, uh, June 4th. And I do want to alert you, our beautiful listeners, to the great opportunity we have called Praying with Fire Conference. Praying with Fire Conference. It's going to be a wonderful evening at Regina Chaley on uh, June 4th from 4 to 9.30 p.m. And uh, Peter Herbeck is going to be communicating the seven keys to a missioned community. We leaders will do our best to communicate some of the fun, humor, and uh, also spiritual riches that we're learning in our journey, seven keys to being a mission family. And, uh, of course, we're going to have an Ignite event uh, concluding the evening, uh, real praying for a real outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Response to all the posts, but certainly the most, the, the recent three who've asked us to be baptized in the Holy Spirit. Who are mindful that even the apostles who had the best catechist ever for three and a half years, it wasn't enough. They needed the Holy Spirit. So if you're in that place tonight, brothers and sisters, um, it's a good place to be in, to come to Jesus hungry because he will satisfy. And uh, the tremendous gift tonight we're going to reflect upon in a particular way of his mother, his blessed mother, in the 100th anniversary of Fatima. So we have some experts, so to speak, with us, certainly some devout children of our blessed mother Mary, our beautiful deacon, Ed Maher, and his wife, Loretta, with us tonight. And uh, they're going to be sharing with us the story. If you've never heard it before, you'll become you, you know, attuned to this tremendous gift of God's revelation through our blessed mother Mary and her messages to us, to a culture that is in many ways not different from us today. And many of those messages back then are applicable to today and the warnings and the prophecies. So um, we're, we're delighted to go there. And before we uh, introduce our guests and uh, get this going, this wonderful uh, evening of attunement to God and his message to us, let's just begin in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Lord, we thank you for this moment. You are present to us. You are the great I am, not I was or I will be, but you are abundantly present to each of us now in our present circumstances. Whatever any of us are dealing with, Lord, in our minds, in our hearts, in our relationships, in our memories. We know you are present to us, that you see all that, and you invite us to just avail ourselves to a greater, fuller indwelling. You want to speak to us tonight, God, personally. And so we do open our hearts and minds to hear your words to us through this beautiful story and the beautiful message, a tremendous uh, epiphany, if you will, a tremendous uh, messaging from heaven through the many apparitions, but in a particular way, Fatima, tonight, 100th year anniversary coming up here on May 13th. So we open our hearts, God, and we say, do your thing, conquer us, reveal yourself to us, and we unite in praying the beautiful prayer, Hail Mary, full Full of of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. So time always seems to go very quickly, so we're really tonight and right now going to get right into it. Just before we do, though, give us a brief introduction 
introduction. Uh, Deacon Ed, Maher, and Loretta, just tell us a little bit about yourselves, and maybe just tell us how um, you came to fall in love in a particular way with this message of Mary, particularly in the apparition of Fatima. Well, uh, Fatima always interested me. I uh, had heard about it, uh, didn't know much, though. And so uh, Father Mike Dandran was taking a trip to Fatima about 10 years ago. I think it was 2007, which would have been the 90th anniversary. We're coming up on the 100th anniversary Mm. this year. So I read a couple of books before we went and uh, was there, experienced that. It's a beautiful spot. It's a very holy spot. You can feel the holiness there. And uh, and then since then, I've continued to follow Fatima. I've read another four or five books. And Loretta and I share our stories on Fatima. And Loretta also has a devotion to Our Lady of Fatima. Beautiful. So you're a deacon at our beautiful church of St. Joan of Arc. And uh, Loretta, I probably cut you off. Go ahead. I was just going to share that I remembered the story of Fatima from my grade school days in a Catholic school. And um, this wonderful story of the miracle of the sun and Our Lady. And uh, I hadn't heard much about it recently, but I was just very blessed to have the opportunity to visit Fatima. So Mm. it's a beautiful story. Loretta had a great Catholic upbringing. She really did. (laughs) Great school, which is really important. Wonderful. And just for our audience to understand, so I indicated Deacon Ed is a... How long have you been a deacon? Uh, six years now. Okay, fabulous. So really powerful past 10 years of your life. Not that there weren't other moments, certainly yeah. marriage and family mm-hmm. and all that, but Fatima being introduced 10 years ago and a deacon the past six years, very, very right. powerful. And I think for our listeners to know also, I think you're particularly credible in that you're familiar with the stuff of the world. You're in the financial industries, and um, God has blessed you both very bright. We're blessed to know this beautiful couple here. They've blessed us immensely, Deacon Ed's homily and conversations, and uh, just you, you are blessed to share with us tonight uh, uh, folks who really understand not simply the beauty of our Catholic faith in this message, but get the world, get stuff of the world, the parents, um, the brothers and sisters of people in the world, and I think uh, that, that gives it a richness to the message all the more of our Blessed Mother Mary. So um, let's get right into it, uh, Deacon Ed. Share with us as if we've never heard anything about Fatima whatsoever. Tell us the story. Okay. First, you have to know about the historical situation at the time of Fatima. Uh, Portugal had always been a very Catholic country, but then in 1910, uh, the king of Portugal was killed. A group of socialists and masons took over, and one of their goals was to stamp out the Catholic Church. Mm -hmm. So they ordered out all of the orders that that weren't from Portugal, and priests and bishops were not allowed to wear their clerics. They had to wear civilian clothes. And so they thought over time they would be able to destroy the church. Uh, A couple of thousand priests also were killed during this time frame. Mm -hmm. So... uh, so in Fatima, Portugal, though, they stayed very Catholic. It was a very small village, very poor, north of Lisbon, the capital. And when this occurs, it starts in 1917. World War I was raging throughout Europe, but Portugal was not involved in it. And so that was a really a gift to them because the carnage in Europe during World War I was unbelievable. So uh, the three children of the story, uh, Lucia, who's the oldest, she's 10 at the beginning of the story, uh, Yacinta, yeah, Francesco, her cousin is eight, and little Jacinta is six, <laughs> and they are her cousins. And so what the children do is every day they take care of the sheep. They don't go to school. So they would leave in the morning. They would go out to this area, this rocky area, about oh, half, about a 45-minute walk from their home, 
and uh, stay with the sheep all day, eat the lunch out there, then come back in the mid-afternoon. And so um, for children today to do that, you know, we would right. be shocked, right? right? But this was the norm in Portugal at that time. But very poor. So on May 13th, uh, 1917, they are, uh, they're out there shepherding their sheep, and they see lightning, and they think it's going to be a storm. So they get the sheep together, and they head towards this one area, and they see this kind of this globe come across the valley and stops on this very short oak. It's only about four feet high right in front of them. So they kneel down, and Lucy asks, they see this beautiful woman, and Lucy asks, where are you from? And she says she's from heaven. Of course, it's the Blessed Virgin Mary. And Lucy asks, what do you ask of me? And the Blessed Virgin Mary says, I want you to come here on the 13th of the month at noon for the next six months. Lucy then asks her, why go to heaven? And the Blessed Virgin Mary <laughs> says, why wouldn't you ask that, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. You will all go to heaven, but Francesco will have to say many rosaries. The boy, of course. Yes. Now, just remember, <laughs> just remember how young he is. Eight. What did he do? And for... And for mm. the rest of that summer, he was asking Jacinta and Lucy, what did I do? And the only thing he could think of was he had once thrown a rock and hit a, a nest, a bird's nest, and knocked it out. And that was the only thing he could think of that he had done. And it would be very difficult to get into trouble in this little town. So, no internet, uh, no devices, none of the uh, you know style and culture that surrounds us today. So I'm already a little concerned right now. Go, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And uh, you know, for the next two years of his life, he's going to say rosaries all the time. So then, uh, Lucy had two had a sister, and her two friends had recently died. So Lucy asked, "Is my friend Maria in heaven?" And the Blessed Virgin Mary says, "Yes." And Amelia, mm-hmm. and the Blessed Virgin Mary says, "She will be in purgatory." until the end of the world, which is kind of shocking because these were two teenage girls. Um, So that one means that purgatory is for real, and and you can go there. Now, the speculation is that she had some kind of a sexual sin that she had confessed, but had not uh, taken care of the temporal punishment that was due to the sin. So then uh, the Blessed Virgin Mary asks, are you willing to sacrifice yourselves to God and bear all the sufferings he will send to you mm-hmm. as an act of reparation for the sins by which he is offended and for the conversion of sinners? Lucy says, yes, we are willing. The Blessed Mother then says, then you will have much to suffer. The grace of God will be your comfort. An intense light then engulfed them, and the Blessed Virgin Mary told them to pray the rosary every day. This obtained peace for the world and the end of the war. And so then the Blessed Mother departed. Now, Lucy, walking back to the village, told them, let's not tell anybody anything about this because they didn't know what to make of it. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately, Yacinta tells uh, her mother she can't, she can't keep quiet about it. And it gets back to Lucy's family. And Lucy's mother was, was really mad at her for even saying that she'd said the Blessed Virgin Mary. And she told her, you know, quit lying. I know this isn't true, et cetera, et cetera. But Lucy stuck to her guns. But uh, Francisco and Jacinta's father did believe them. And so on June 13th, the next uh, time for the, to meet with the Blessed Mother, he goes along with about 35 other people. And um, same thing happens. There's this ball that comes across. But they also saw a golden U around where the children were. And Lucy again asked the Blessed Mother, what do you want of me? And the Blessed Mother once again says, say the rosary every day and learn how to read. So Lucy says, I want you to take us to heaven. 
And the Blessed Virgin Mary says, yes, Jacinta and Francisco, soon you will be here for some time. Jesus wants to make use of you to make me known and loved. He wants to establish devotion to my Immaculate Heart in the world. And whoever embraces this devotion, I promise salvation. And so the Lucy stays on the earth until 2005 when, when she dies, so many years later. So, and then the second time, you know, a intense light engulfs them. And uh, also, prior to her leaving, the Blessed Virgin Mary opened her right hand, and there was a heart encircled by thorns, mm. which pierced the heart. And uh, this was the Immaculate Heart of Mary she was showing them, and she said the, the thorns were the sins of man that were hurting her. Mm-hmm. And she asked for, for reparation for her suffering. So, once again, now there was 35 people. They all saw something. So, July 13th comes out, and there's about 5,000 people there now. Third apparition. Yes. So, and this is probably the most important, other than the one on October 13th. So, Lucy, what do you want of me? The Blessed Virgin Mary says, say the rosary every day and come here on the 13th of each month. Lucy, can you perform a miracle and tell us who you are so the people will believe us? Because she was under intense pressure. Mm. And the Blessed Virgin Mary said, I will do that in October. Blessed Virgin Mary said, sacrifice yourselves for sinners. When you, say, when you make a sacrifice, say, oh, Jesus, it is for love of you, for the conversion of sinners, and for all the sins committed against the Immaculate Heart of Mary. Then the Blessed Virgin Mary opened her hands, and the children, it's like the earth flipped, and the children were given a vision of hell. It was a sea of fire. Demons and souls in human form, like transparent burning embers floating about in the conflagration. Then they were raised into the air by the flames, and they were completely out of control. There were great clouds of smoke, huge fires. They saw a blonde woman tumble into hell. There were loud shrieks and groans of pain. This vision horrified the children and completely changed their lives. And this is really the first secret of Fatima. Then Mm. the Blessed Virgin Mary told them, You have seen hell where the souls of poor sinners go. To save them, God wishes to establish a devotion to my Immaculate Heart. If what I say to you is done, many souls will be saved and there will be peace. She then tells them, the war is going to end. But if people don't stop offending God, there will be a worse one during the reign of Pope Pius XI. Now, at that point in time, Pope Benedict XV was the Pope in Rome. Mm. When you see a knight illumined by an unknown light, it is a signal by God that he is going to punish the world for its crimes by means of war, famine, and persecution of the church and the Holy Father. To prevent this, Mary asked for a consecration of Russia to her Immaculate Heart and the First Saturday Devotion. If these are accomplished, Russia will be converted and there will be peace. If not, Russia will spread her airs throughout the world, causing wars and persecution of the church. The good will be martyred. The Holy Father will have much to suffer. Various nations will be annihilated. Mm. In the end, my Immaculate Heart will triumph. Do not tell this to anyone. This is the sacred secret. So she, they were not allowed to tell these secrets until the Blessed Mother of the Lord allowed them to. So after this, as they were walking home, now this is how, this is how poorly educated they were. In the town, there was a donkey named Russia. So they were walking back wondering, what did Russia do to the Pope? What could he have done? It was so wrong. That's how innocent and how, how they didn't know hardly anything. Yeah, they'd never heard of the country of Russia. <laughs> no, nothing wow. like that. So, uh, and then there was also the third secret was also given then, although that was not in the details until much later, and we're really not clear on it actually to this day. 
So uh, the next apparition was supposed to be on August 13th. Um, as they were walking to, um, to the apparition site, the county that surrounded Fatima was, was run by a mason, and he kidnapped them and brought them to the county seat and um, threatened them with uh, death if they didn't tell him the secrets. Of course, they weren't going to. So then he said, I'm going to boil you in oil. <laughs> so they t- he had this henchman, which was a really ugly, mean guy, who uh, they took them out one at a time, uh, starting, with, uh, starting with the oldest, Lucia. And uh, she went out and then... Because they thought, well, the younger ones would give in. Well, then Francesco, he goes, and Jacinta, the youngest, says, don't give in, Francisco. Uh-huh. So they goes out. And then each time the hunchman comes back and the, uh, the county head says, is she dead? Yes. Francisco dead? Yes. So then Jacinta, she wasn't going to say anything anyway. So actually, they just took him down into the jail. They didn't kill them. And uh, then when they go down there, all of the prisoners are saying the rosary with them because they... Taught him to say to say the whole what the a rosary. Sight that would have been right. <laughs> so, so that was so, so that was neat. But the people there was about fifteen thousand people there, and they were they were really angry about what happened to the children, kidnapping them and taking them to jail. So a lot of pressure, and so the children are released, and so then the Blessed Mother appears to them on August nineteenth as they're taking the sheep out to to the Covadaria where they normally went. And um, she told them that uh, because of what happened to them, the miracle in October wouldn't be as great as it would have been mm-hmm. had they not been kidnapped. So the next apparition is September 13th. Now there's 30,000 people present as this continues to spread. Uh, many in the crowd saw this luminous globe move from east to west, gliding slowly and majestically to its place on top of the small oak tree. Um, Lucy asked, what do you want of me? And the Blessed Virgin Mary, again, continue to say the rosary every day. In October, our Lord will come, as will Our Lady of Sorrows and Our Lady of Mount Carmel. St. Joseph will come with the child Jesus to bless the world. God is pleased with your sacrifices. You do not have to sleep with the rope around your waist. So uh, after the vision of hell, July 13th, they sacrificed everything so they would give their food to the sheep they would give their water to the sheep and drink the pond water they had this really rough rope around their waist 24 hours a day which made it hard to sleep so that's why god said well you don't have to he liked the fact that they were sacrificing with the rope but they he didn't want them to sleep with it on as well but i mean that that vision of hell just changed them tremendously and they really suffered so instead of eating their own food they were gather up these nuts, and then they would work, eat the worst ones of them. Wow. Yeah. They, that's wow. and they would give the better ones to sheep. So, yeah. Um, so, now October 13th comes. And um, the, the church really is hoping that this is not true. There's lots of priests, monsignors there, because they heard about it. There's only really one priest that believes their stories. Of course, the government wanted this not to be true because they're trying to stamp out the Catholic Church and these children are are gathering. All of these uh, people are all excited about the Blessed Virgin Mother appearing to them. And so on October 12th, it starts to rain. And um, in Portugal in those times, there was really no cars. So they were in carriages, donkeys, etc. coming there. 
and it was incessant rain, so everybody was really wet. By the morning of October 13th, there was over 70,000 people in this, in this area. And really, it's, it's isolated today. So it had been very difficult for these people to get there, but 70,000 were there. And so um, Lucy points to the sky at one point. Actually, before this happens, this is interesting. Um, her mother says, Lucy, it's not too late to tell the truth. Mm. Her mother still mm. doesn't won't believe, believe her. Believe. Really, she doesn't believe her till even she, when she's on her deathbed. She doesn't believe her. And so, uh, blessed, uh, so Lucy um, kneels down. She asks the Blessed Mother what she wants. And the Blessed Mother says, a chapel built in my honor. I am Our Lady of the Rosary. Continue to say the rosary every day. The war will end soon and the soldiers will return to their homes. Then the children saw what the Blessed Mother had told them earlier, Joseph and the child Jesus, Our Lady of Sorrows, Our Lady of Mount Carbo. But Lucy pointed to the sky, and the sky opened like a curtain in a theater, okay? And it was all cloudy, rainy, and what was seen was a blue sky with a sun in the center. So the sun started spinning around, throwing off all of these colors. And the colors would go around the, uh, you know, around the earth, too. It wasn't just in the sky. So when you see pictures of people who were there, some are not looking up in the sky because they said, well, people in front of me were changing colors in orange and yellow and purples and reds and colors they hadn't seen before, right? So it spins around for about two minutes and it stops. Then it starts up again after another minute, except it's spinning faster this time. And the same thing, people are looking around. You could see it for about 35 miles around a British warship off the coast of Portugal was watching what was going on. Then the third time, it really flies around the sky, and it starts heading to Earth. Everybody thinks that it's the end of the world. They throw themselves down in the mud. They're pleading for mercy. Many people are there hoping to get uh, healed by the Blessed Mother. And all of a sudden, it stops. Sun goes back up into the middle of the sky. It's clear sky, blue. The people get up. Their clothes are clean and dry, and many people are healed. You can see scenes later with people. You know, there's some wheelchairs and... um, and other medical paraphernalia left there at the scene. And uh, that ends the, uh, uh, the miracle of the sun. Now, um, there were many newspapers there, too, including uh, uh, the New York Herald Tribune was there. And there was an article in the paper that next day, but nothing much after. Mm-hmm. And it kind of died. The World War I did end, uh, you know, in 1918. But uh, there was really little follow-up to it. Um, Lucy then goes and becomes, and the children were under tremendous pressure. They were coming to their houses, bugging them for wanting to talk to them, etc. So Francesco spent most of his time under his bed or in church in front of the tabernacle praying. Poor little guy. Yeah, <laughs> you can imagine all these wow. people and everything, and and so, and then uh, Lucy goes to a convent, changes her name, and uh, and so that kind of ends that part of mm-hmm. the story of Our Lady of Fatima. Um, now, you know, the Lord and the Blessed Mother continue to appear to Lucia uh, throughout her life. And the Ascenta, the Blessed Mother, appears to her a number of times before she dies. Now, both Francesco and Ascenta, the Blessed Mother, said was, they were going to be taken shortly, and they both die within two years from the Spanish flu. So a lot of questions um, in my mind that uh, maybe listeners share with me, and not the least of which is the very beginning we kind of hinted at it. Um, the requirement for salvation. I mean, the requirement for salvation. Today, you get the sense at any funeral that everybody's saved. 
um, and that it requires very little than just being good. And let's just say being good by, you know, very limited standards. Be a nice person. Be a nice person. Be good. Be kind to other people. You have Mary's words about uh, her cousin or friend who was going to be in purgatory through the end of time. Thanks be to God, by the way, for the gift of purgatory, which is in the uh, the biblical corpus that talks about um, that uh, gift of transformation because heaven is a place of perfection and none of us die perfectly. And uh, Romans 12, 1 and 2, it's right. It's about transformation. It's not just being covered as I think the reformers, the Protestants uh, spoke of salvation that we're just covered by this grace. No, God is about us being transformed and, uh, and it is a process of being transformed. And, and thanks be to God, when we die, most of us not in that place of perfect transformation, that there is a place where we will be purged of our sins. Mm-hmm. And we hear often about, if you will, a kind of joy-filled horror, if you will, of purgatory, kind of the pain and the suffering, but a joy knowing where we're going. So just for our listeners to know that we have ample evidence, certainly biblical foundation and catechetical, it's in our teaching, but we have evidence of, of, um, of uh, visions and such that reveal that Mary's talking about that. So again, the question of salvation, the question of what is required for salvation, when you heard this, particularly Mary's words about the friend who's going to be in purgatory to the end of time. What does that do for your spiritual life or did it do for your spiritual life in thinking about maybe the level of your faith commitment and engagement? Oh, it made a big difference. I mean, um, it makes you um, know that every little item that you do that's not in accord with God's will, you're going to be held accountable for. I mean, I, th- I thought about Francesco a lot. I Actually, I cry sometimes thinking about the poor little guy. Mm. I mean, he didn't ask, ask for anything that happened to him. He was only eight, and uh, then he's thrown into this cauldron where all these people are there, and the Blessed Mother says he can't go to heaven because he has to say all these, these rosaries, and he can't figure out what he did wrong. But you know, it couldn't have been all that great for an eight-year-old. And then you think, oh, man, I'm an adult. I've lived right. a long time. Wow. You know? right, right. So it makes you... Uh, the seriousness of our lives and our actions mm-hmm. every day are really, really mm-hmm. important. Then you throw throw in the, the fact, mm-hmm. yeah, the vision of hell just changed their mm-hmm. lives tremendously to where they wouldn't even eat their regular food, the, the mm-hmm. water, and it was intensely hot that summer too. And yet they gave their water to the sheep and ate out of the mm-hmm. pond. It had to be horrific, I think. So, uh, so it has. And when you think about it, it, it has a big influence. So. Um, I don't know if that was about the time that I started saying a daily rosary, but mm. I think so, somewhere in mm. there, uh, because the Blessed Mother asked them that every time, and and uh, we mm. know that if we say a daily rosary, we're predestined for heaven, so I mm. want to do that. I'm going to be like Francesca. Okay, hold on on that segment. <laughs> we talked about this before, but for our listeners, what does that mean, we know we're predestined for heaven? What's the basis of that statement? Well, that's one of the 12 promises of Mary about saying the rosary, um, and it's in the Catechism of the Catholic Church that... And I think it's just because all the graces you get from the rosary, if you say it every day and you delve into the scriptures, you're obviously going to be a much holier person. Um, you're going to be a more spiritual person. So it just makes sense to me, too, that mm-hmm. that, that would be the case. And Mary's mission is to lead us to Jesus. Right. You know, so that's the theology of Mary, and that was the whole point of her apparitions. And it's all about mm-hmm. salvation, about repenting of our sins, coming back to God. Mm-hmm. 
practicing virtue and the power of prayer and the power mm-hmm. of sacrifice to atone mm-hmm. for sin. Yeah, we forget about the sacrifice. Right. I want to address that in a second. But so saying the rosary, we like to say praying. I know that was Mary's right. intent. We use the word say. My dad has a funny little goes off on that. It kind of makes fun of us saying our things, but truly really praying. But praying the rosary, and we talked about this before also, Deacon Ed, that um, really, what is it? It's, it's drawing into the mysteries of the life of Christ, um, focusing on them, really, which requires what? Kind of turning our attention from other things, lesser things, and having that kind of dialogue with God that speaks to our souls. As you say, you know, it has, it, it can't help but form us. It can't help if we're doing it sincerely, I'll say. Right. It's true that you could probably, and we've heard different apparitions speak of, you could, to priests even, the danger of just going rattling through the Mass, and you could be destined for hell. You could still, no, no amount of Masses or words prayed in themselves accomplish it. So there is obviously a dimension here of a relational dimension of opening our hearts and minds and being attuned in a way that forms us and transforms us. Oh, yeah, definitely. Yep. That's, that's what happens. And uh, so that's why I encourage people to say rosary every day. I've done that in a couple of homilies. I don't know how many people take me up on that. But it's, it's, it used to be a, uh, a devotion that was really emphasized by the church. Uh, but about 50 years ago, they kind of fell apart, fell away. And so now it's kind of rare to see people carrying the rosaries. So I always carry the rosary with me. You know, when I'm in a voting line, I have a rosary. So people kind of know. I wonder who he's voting for. Uh, but I, I, I do it publicly so people know that be, that I'm saying the rosary because I think that might give them courage to say a rosary right. publicly sure. as well. So when I'm running around the airport or something like that. I have to it. share real quick a shout out to Father Larry Richards, who many of our listeners are familiar with. But he was the campus minister at Cathedral Preparatory School in Erie, PA, which is an all-guys Catholic high school. And he you know, would preach on the rosary all the time and encourage daily rosary devotion. And he would uh, encourage the guys to always carry a rosary with them. So he would go up and down the halls and say, rosary check, rosary check. And the young men would have to pull it out of their pocket, you know, and hold it up. And, but I'm sure that that influenced many of them. And, Absolutely. you know, Absolutely. how Mary used that. Sure. Um, let's take a moment and also talk about hell if we could, because I know maybe the typical audience of Annunciation Radio believe in hell understand it, regard it, recognize that it's real and that people go there. We can't judge who is. We're not in a place, only the church. Uh, Christ knows ultimately who is there. Um, But I think, you know, my thought as I reflect upon this is that it truly isn't this sort of checklist of good things and bad things, and if the bad things outweigh the good things, this juridical judge in the sky sends people to this absolutely horrible place. My sense is that we're given the choice, Deuteronomy, I present before you life and death, blessing and a curse. Therefore, you choose life that you may live. Hell is ultimately our own decision. Hell is our free-willed, as much as we're able to, choice to, um, to if you will, choose separation. Because really, uh, Pope John Paul II said the two, uh, the essence of life of our human drama is participation or alienation. So by decisions that we make, sin literally means separation. We are making decisions. We've glamorized or it's become glamorized. Separation from God and intimacy with God has become glamorized that we choose it. We choose to be separate from God. And so in a certain sense, it's not obviously that ultimate eschatology, that sense of hell when we die. But but a lot of us are living in a state of hell right now 
by virtue of choosing actions, uh, things we do, fail to do, um, that leave us in a state of separation from intimacy with God, ourself, and with others. And uh, upon our death, why is it so important that part of the rosary, now pray for us now and at the hour of our death, we could do whatever, right, in life. Although, you know, of course, the Led Zeppelin song, Stairway to Heaven, there are two paths you can go by, but in the long run, there's time to change the road you're on. That's not the way we want to be thinking. Because, um, number one, God is offering us the greatest fulfillment of intimacy with him and choosing uh, to avail our hearts to his plan and his way all along the way. But truly, the, the point of determination is that moment of death, is it not? And, uh, and being presented or familiar with who knows who or who can judge, right? But that there is that moment upon death that all will come to its focal point of our eternal decision. Right. Um, here's my thought on, on this. People have to decide that they want to be saved and spend eternity in heaven. It's a decision you make, and then you have to live your life accordingly. I think hardly anybody today is even thinking along those lines. Mm -hmm. They just think, well, I'm a good person. I'm going to go. No, you have to make a decision that you want to go to heaven, that you're going to grow in holiness and virtue, which is what you, what you have to, what you have to do as a minimum to, uh, to uh, get to heaven. And uh, so many people that I talk to that I engage in, they've, they've never even thought about it, mm-hmm. you know, which is sad. It's really sad. And inclinations, I think, today are given as validation for our nature. Uh, I was made that way. I have that passion. Therefore, uh, God made me that way, which is a, a supreme error. Which of us do not have inclinations for which we need self-mastery? You know, somebody's may be an inclination to same-sex sexual attraction. It's not mine, thanks be to God, but I've got others. It's not that one. But which of us don't have inclinations for which we need to master? I think a theme here, that relativism, we are not creating the landscape. We are not in the power. We're not God. And I think today wants to present before us or make us think we can define the rules of the road, if you will. And in fact, they are the landscape of intimacy with God. There's a contour of this thing we call love. Love is thrown out very easily. Well, I love and as long as you love one another and blah, blah, blah. Well, no, love is the person, is, is the three persons of the Trinity revealed in Christ, sacrificing self, suffering. So let's, you know, we know that there's a contour of the road. We know that through the Blessed Mother, God has made his, you know, amplified his will. There's nothing really uh, in the fundamentals of Fatima that was new. It was amplifying messages of conversion and sacrifice. Um, we have the Colossians one twenty four passage for our listeners on suffering, where Paul says, Now I rejoice in what I am suffering for you. And I fill up in my flesh what is still lacking in regard to Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, which is the church. Share a little bit with us your insight to this understanding of how can our suffering, why does our suffering, why are we given, why does God dignify us or ennoble us in any way, shape, or form to have influence over salvation of others? That's pretty scary to me. I think he wants us to join with him in in, uh, saving souls. So Mm -hmm. all of our sacrifices he uses to bring other people back to him. I mean, it's kind of mystical. It's hard to Mm -hmm. believe why why would my sacrifice, you know, why would my not eating meat on Fridays Mm -hmm. or during Lent or why am I giving up whatever? How, How would that help? But the Lord, somehow, he wants us to be involved with him and the Blessed Mother and saving souls. And we're all going to suffer because Jesus suffered. And so we should accept it, not worry about it, give all of those sufferings to the Lord, and uh, and just trust in him. But it's, you have to think about it. That was that from Colossians is one that uh, 
that Scott Hahn talks about as being very curious when he was a Protestant, trying mm. to wrap his arms mm-hmm. around the suffering mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. angle. Mm-hmm. It's interesting. So let me ask your take on this as we talk about suffering. Um, Did you want to say something else? Well, I was going to go back to you when you were talking about same-sex attraction or or whatever. Is one of the last things that Lucy said, and I think that is so important for our time, is uh, one of the last messages was to Cardinal Cofera, who um, was head of the uh, uh, apostle to the family Mm -hmm. under John Paul II. And she told him that the final battle between the Lord and Satan was going to be over marriage and the family. Mm. And now we were there. Wow. We're there right now, right? Yes. Because of the confusion about the family um, and what comprises a family, about marriage, including in our church, what's a marriage, uh, about same-sex marriage, about changing sexes, uh, transgenders. I mean, it's all here right now, and I think it's all kind of coming to a climax, right? Mm-hmm. What she what she predicted is is here. Yeah, yeah, she was prophetic. And the battle is, you know, you kind of know the, you know, the, you, we know the Lord's going to win, and we know, but we know mm-hmm. Satan has done a lot mm-hmm. of winning in the in the interim. So, um, so we have to stay true to the traditions of the faith and what a marriage is. It's mm-hmm. between one man and mm-hmm. one woman for all time. We say this often that it takes great audacity to be married in the mind and heart of the church sacramentally. Why? Because it's the audacity to live as an icon of the Trinity, to make literally the mission, identity and mission of marriage, to make God who is love known. Like we hear the phrase, make love, right? Well, make God is love. So an interesting insight to that, make love, right? Make love known is the whole identity and mission of a married couple. So if Satan were want to, would want to attack God's children, whom he's jealous, insanely jealous of, what would be his point of attack? He'd want to minimize love, true love, authentic love being made known to the world. And just to kind of color in a little bit what you're saying, that it makes sense that he would go after sexuality. He'd go after gender identity. He'd go after that Genesis 1.27, in God. God's image, he made them male and female, he created them, that to a certain extent, we cannot know our full, uh, or understand God, the degree to which we don't know a member of the opposite gender living authentically their femininity or masculinity, depending on who that is. So that is very evidently the landscape that we're seeing play out today. Um, on the suffering thing, I want to just want to ask you a question before I get, um, get too far away. So if it is true that God invites us to participate in Christ, because it's all in Christ, um, in the suffering, if you will, for the salvation of souls. If that's true, is it not true then that by our rejecting sufferings that God offers us, possibly certain grace might be denied that God intended? It seems like a necessary corollary that my not responding to God's invitation to suffer in certain ways, to embrace the life that he calls me to, has implications of salvation for others. For sure. Right. Yeah, that's pretty scary. Yeah, yeah. If you reject your suffering, that's, that's not good. Um, there's a book written by a lady named Maria Sima who had an mm. apostolate to the Holy Souls in Purgatory, which was approved by Pope Paul VI and John Paul II. Um, a number of times in there said that people on their deathbed would get an opportunity to do their suffering on earth here rather than purgatory. And if they accepted their suffering, 
the Lord would accept it. But if they rejected it and got mad at God, etc., you know, their punishment would be added to. Mm-hmm. So, uh, so when you were saying that, that's the first thing I thought of was Maria Sima. Mm-hmm. Great book. He's know? always given us chances, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Up until that's the right. end. Mm-hmm. Better yeah. to do our suffering here on earth. So yeah. you gave that beautiful um, intro, so to speak, of where we're at now and with Sister Lucy, what she had shared. Right. Um, do you want to transition into the message? Well, What um, it uh, means yeah. now? Yeah, well, uh, first I, w- I want to... Uh, I, I do want to talk about, this is the 100th anniversary of Fatima. And one thing I want to talk about is why this is so important, uh, because um, you need to know the background on the Sacred Heart of Jesus. So the Sacred Heart of Jesus consecration was brought to us by St. Mary Margaret Alacoque in the 1600s. And um, she was asked by the Lord to go to the King of France and have the country of France consecrated to his Sacred Heart he wanted all the flags, banners, and shields with that emblem on it and a basilica built to the Sacred Heart in Paris. Well, Louis XIV was a very holy man. He thought about it. France was a superpower in Europe at that time, but he didn't do it. And then his son didn't do it. Then his grandson didn't do it. Now, a hundred years to the day of that request, the French Revolution started with mm. the King of France being arrested and the Archbishop of Paris being knifed in the street. Wow. 30,000 priests lost their lives. Mm. Untold thousands of nuns lost their lives as well. And the reign, it was the reign of terror. Mm-hmm. And uh, now we're coming up on the 100-year anniversary of Fatima. So what did the Blessed Mother ask us at Fatima? Pray every daily rosary, consecration to her Immaculate Heart, the first Saturday devotion. None of those things really have taken off, right? You, you don't see a lot of people saying the rosary or first area devotions, etc. So I think it's, um, I think we need to be, it's a time for us to go deeper into our faith. So I would say, I tell people, well, if you can go to daily mass, go to daily mass. Of course, you have to go to Sunday mass. Say a rosary every day. Increase your prayer life. Talk to other people about increasing their prayer lives. Fast sacrifice, give things to the Lord, and uh, and hopefully the Lord will have mercy on us. But numbers in the Bible are really important. Mm-hmm. You know, 40 years, um, seven in the Bible, and this, hundred, this 100th anniversary, we're coming up just like the Sacred Heart of Jesus, except Lucy had to have the Immaculate Heart of Mary, and mm. 100th anniversary I think will be critical. Um. So um, so I pass that on to people. Also, um, I just had a list here of things. Another thing, if you don't believe in God, or if you think what we're saying tonight is all crazy, is the story of Hiroshima, where the eight Jesuit priests were um, eight blocks from ground zero in a frame wooden house, and the bomb went off, and none of them were hurt, no radiation damage, it should have been impossible for that frame house to survive because the heat at that at that distance was about 2,000 degrees Fahrenheit. Wow. The air pressure uh, was about 100 pounds per square inch. I don't know what that means. I'm just reading. But all of their limbs and it should have been right. blown apart right. at like 7 or 8. I mean, that's how. And yet that frame house stood there. They, they survived. survived. They never got radiation sickness, nothing. And, uh, and they were dedicated to praying the and, rosary. And, mm. and the reason Correct. they gave it was for, they were dedicated to Our Lady of Fatima. Mm. That's mm-hmm. the reason they, and they said the daily rosary together in the house. And that's how they gave their credit to for their survival. And, uh, you know, they, and f- they were, um, 
they were tested like 200 times because when they were first discovered there, people, you know, the doctors said, you, you guys are going to die soon. You know that, right? And then you're going to die soon. And then nothing happened to them. They didn't even get a cold. Right. <laughs> so, and they've lived very long lives, and they've been healthy yeah, their entire the lives. No radiation sickness. Yeah, yeah, so the chief physicist yeah, was something above what man can understand that saved their lives mm. in that frame house. Really. Wow. So yes, it, it makes me think, too. Loretta and I were talking about this earlier um, John Paul II, if anyone knows anything about him, you know he had total love, you know, and devotion oh, yeah. to Our Lady. His his papal motto was, totus tuus, totally yours, exactly. you know, speaking to Mary. Mm-hmm. And um, our listeners, I'm sure many of you know that he was, his the attempted assassination on his life was on May 13th. Mm-hmm. Right. And he credits completely... You know, his life being spared because of Our Lady. And I believe it was that following year where he went to Fatima to give Thanksgiving and he took the bullet that wasn't it like just millimeters, yeah. you know, right. away from, from, from major organs and right. vessels. And he and put it in her crown. Yes. You know, yes. just yes. very moving. Mary medal that he was wearing. Right. right there, that mm-hmm. would have deflected mm-hmm. it enough. Yes. Yeah. So, quick article I had pulled up on this, and I'd heard that story before, but didn't necessarily get the Fatima connection. And uh, in this article, and there are many folks out there. Listen, look it up. Look up Hiroshima Jesuits. We'll bring up this article, which is Deacon introduced this. Ought to inspire faith and belief that there's a power beyond us. It just is beyond explanation that ought to make us aware of God's miraculous presence. Anyways, quote: The four religious never doubt that they had been blessed with protection by God and the Blessed Virgin Mary. They explained, quote, We were living the message of Fatima, and we prayed the rosary every day. Amen. What more proof do we need? So this is really phenomenal, and you've got some great content here, Deacon. If there's anything, um, please, uh, we want to focus on. Yes, please, continue. Oh, okay. Um, Well, um, uh, you know, we, we talked earlier about the consecration to the Immaculate Heart of Mary, and um, one thing I recommend to people is is to have a picture of the Immaculate Heart of Mary and the Savior of Jesus in your house. And particularly, I I say this to everybody, Loretta can vouch for this, that before you go to bed at night, you kiss, you kiss them and tell them how much you love them. And uh, over time... You will have a real devotion to them. They're kind of like right there in your family. And uh, little things like that, you know the Lord and the Blessed Mother are going to really love them, right? So, oh, yeah, I'm leaning away from that. So, you know, you know they're going to love it. Just like mm-hmm. we love it when our children do that, right? right? So, right. and, and uh, you know, the Blessed Mother is our mother. And uh, So explain the word consecration to our listeners. What do you mean by that? Well, I, I, we, Greg and I were talking about that. To me, it's just a devotion to our mm-hmm. Blessed Mother. It's not a, there's not a definition of why you have to do these things. Right, but if you say rosary every day and you have those pictures in front of you, you're going to be devoted to her, and you give little things to her, you you honor her on her feast days, and all of those little things that show you really care about her. And she knows everything we're doing. She's looking down from heaven, and she sees every time we we pray a rosary or or kiss her image or place yeah. a statue in front of our homes. She knows. Yeah. Yeah. And parents, I encourage you who are listening, especially those with younger children, mm. it's, it's never too young and it's never too late yes. <laughs> to start those little things, you know, with the pictures and kissing Our Lady and kissing the Sacred Heart and, mm-hmm. you know, a May altar or, you know, mm-hmm. always have a statue where the kids at any point in the year can bring a flower and put in front of her. Mm-hmm. Um, certainly the rosary, but just any way 
to instill in them a love and devotion to Our Lady, you know, whether it's, you know, enrolling them in the brown scapular or, you know, letting them pick out a special rosary. Mm -hmm. Just there's so many different ways that we as parents can really, you know, foster that love of Our Lady, which is so important. I know some of my earliest memories were many of those things, certainly through, you know, my teachers, many of whom were sisters, you know, in grade school. But I remember after Mass every Sunday, going over, we, we were taken over to kneel down and say a prayer in front of the statue of Our Lady and mm-hmm. just, you know, lighting the candle when you could light candles in mm-hmm. <laughs> churches. But just, I mean, all those things just embed such a deep love that hopefully will last forever. Mm-hmm. So I have to just identify uh, elephant in the room as we speak of this, again, great gift of God, loving his children. I like to see this image of like the Pied Piper, right? The sound of the enemy playing the sound that is is deceptively beautiful. It's drawing us in a direction. We're getting in line, mobs of people just kind of doing it. And again, the sound is coming through the media. It's coming through our peers. It's coming through culture. We're really not asking the key questions of where it's coming from and where it's leading. And until we get to that edge of that cliff and people are going off it, it's, you know, we're going headlong into that. And so God's looking down at his children and he's saying, I, I'm going to send my mother in the sea of people to make heaven known, to make it known that he loves us profoundly, to make it known that we are designed for greater things, to make it known um, that we can make a choice and be dignified and choose heaven in the midst of the pressure. And let's just acknowledge extreme pressure that surrounds us. And in a particular way, the elephant in the room is this. The best of Catholics, Christians who are believers, go to church, mass, whatever, the best of us are addicted to stimulation. The best of us are addicted to turning on the TV, checking our devices, and, and, and I, will, I will dare to say that um, what we're describing here tonight, many will not do. Why? Because, they'll use the word busy, but I, I think that's a farce. You know, on average, kids a day spend seven hours plus with discretionary media. On average, seven hours plus a day. We're addicted to stimulation, and it's hard for us to even imagine pulling away, pulling our kids away. We've lost control of our kids and our families. You know, I'm not going to do that. I don't want the pushback from my children. You know, so I'm acknowledging as we're talking about this, number one, the tremendous grace and gift we're hearing from heaven, but also the moment that they're done hearing this presentation tonight, they're facing a TV that's on, they're facing gadgets that are on, music that's in the background, the device that's dinging and blinging and commanding our attention, and we've become wired to to what? To stuff that, that really does next to nothing for our souls and bring us closer to God. So there is a kind of need to grapple with over the airwaves here and with brothers and sisters and families about the sound we're following, that sound that we're following and where it's truly leading us. There's a need to kind of be mindful that we're not habituated toward it. Even just the rhythm of praying the rosary. You know, um, in our monthly Catholic family gatherings, we were blessed, uh, a, a father of one of my son's teammates, so basketball, Dominic, one of his teammates, um, his father, and I just met him as a father sitting in the bleachers talking, and uh, I just invited him to one of these monthly Catholic family gatherings, and I told him, you know, there's going to be prayer, uh, and I, but I kind of said, here's a business guy, and he gets business ideals and stuff, and he said, we're about becoming really the best versions of ourselves. We want to be better husbands, better fathers, we're far from it. We're real, keep it real, whatever. And, uh, you know, we have beer later on after we do pray the rosary and these things. We invited him to this event. 
after, at the end of the night, after we pray that end part where we're praying the rosary, so picture 70, 80 people in this big room we have, and little kids leading the rosary, very beautiful, very moving. At the end of this, he came up to me, almost had tears in his eyes. He says, I've never done that. Uh, He'd been Catholic his whole life. His kids go to a Catholic school. And he looked over at his son who was in in the group, and he said, I asked him, he said, i got to be honest with you, Greg, you know, and he's a level-headed kind of guy. He said, he really liked this. He was thumbs up in me. Like, so... So I'm also speaking to that audience that's addicted us, addicted to stimulation, that there's something about this that might actually be novel, to slow down, to set aside, been there, done that, watched that movie, did that distracting thing, did it get us any further? Maybe something like this as an invitation might actually be attractive, but I think it takes a little bit of of initiative to just say we're going to do it. Like I invite our listeners right now to just say, pick the time tomorrow, just do it. Just turn off the TV, turn off the gadgets, turn off the devices, and give it a chance. And don't be embarrassed if you don't know the words. And anywhere online you can find... That's what I was just going to say. There's so many things online, whether it's YouTube or podcasts or, you know... uh Pandora, whatever, you know, Google Play, there's so like the rosary, whether it's John Paul II leading it or a tape of whomever, you know, with background music or little reflections, there are so many different options that those who might need that little bit of extra um, stimulation, (laughs) encouragement Mm -hmm. along the way to get into it, that's, I mean, that's a beautiful use of media. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you can't put, uh, you know, God's supposed to be number one in our lives, and if we're not giving him any time, how can we say that? You right, know, we love right. him, you know. So that's And family prayer is so powerful, and the, the axiom is true. The family that prays together stays together, and we wish we had done more of that, of that yeah. when our children were young, because I have seen the positive effects of families that do do this, mm-hmm. and it's just a matter of getting out of the, the usual routine and right. making a decision and doing it. We're in a landing pattern here, and Deacon, I want you to just um, give us your prominent points. He's got great oh, well, material I here. Gonna, I don't so, think we have time for you. Yacinta's last days. I was going to go. Give us, messages. yeah, just go right there. Whatever um, it, it strikes you as most important that we really need to hear from uh, this great content that you have. Uh, you're talking about here. Yacinta's I'm giving you permission for, to use these last few okay, minutes to really you would like. exactly. Okay. Well, I was just going to go over a few things that Yacinta, because the Blessed Mother appeared to her in a hospital. Um, the sins which cause most souls to go to hell are sins of the flesh. Fashions mm. will be introduced that will greatly offend our Lord. If people knew what eternity is, they would do everything to change their lives. Which mm. People today, once again, mm. kind of not, not focused on their eternities. People are lost because they do not think of the death of our Lord and do not do penance. Many marriages are not of God. Now, remember, this is in 1918. Many marriages are not of God and do not please our Lord. Mm. Wars are punishment for sin. Um, on Christian virtues, fly from riches and luxury. Love poverty and silence. Mm. Notice Beautiful. that silence in there. Beautiful. Um, have charity and for bad people. And the rest are, you know, the standard kind of Christian values that we should hold. But So so the message of, uh, message of Fatima is to, I think, to... Um, detach from the world as best we can focus on our family life on growing holier more virtuous bringing more people to the Lord so they can also have this peace because I think when you're when you're pursuing a more spiritual life it does give you peace and when you cut yourself Mm -hmm. off from the daily news which is awful 
Uh, it just it just naturally that you're that you're more patient, you're more peaceful, you're more happy. It just works that way, and uh, I wish everybody would do that. And uh, I uh, yeah yeah, I'd be my prayer for everybody listening is awesome. that they would sit down and say, okay, we need to focus on the Lord. We need to we need to spend some time with our Lord every day. And um, what what can we do? And there's lots that we can do that we talked about tonight. And you just even think that the timing of a rosary is 15 minutes, really? Yeah, 15 at, minutes. At most, 15 minutes. Like, right. who doesn't have... It is just that commitment, right. Right? right? It takes leadership. It takes a parent to say, hey, I, I don't know what this is going to do, folks, uh, or whatever. But that's faith, right? That's the step in faith to say, it doesn't matter. It's not about what I can do or how it's said. Set aside the time and avail your hearts and minds to what God does. I can give testimony, Steph and I can give testimony to the numerous times where we did that. We, we speak of putting the flag in the sand in whatever form, going to an Ignite worship event or a daily mass early on or certainly praying the rosary. And usually the enemy seems to strike hardest when he knows you're going to do it, by the way. So if you're intending to do this, know that your family is going to kick and scream and maybe and that you're going to face a lot of obstacles. But I can t- give testimony that often even driving to an Ignite uh, with the little kids, littler ones, now they love it, choose it, whatever. But the, the, the conflict and the bickering and the stuff that's going on on the way there, by the end of the Ignite, by the time we come home in the van or whatever, the van was like 15 feet off the ground. There was a levity. There was a joy. There was something transformative that happened that over time, and this is the thing, if you keep doing it, it has the effect of shaping us and forming us all the more. So you do it once just to recognize that there's something palpable that does happen. There is something, there is an effect. There is a transformation at some level that takes place. And uh, do it multiple times. It draws you in and shapes us. So, folks, we've been very blessed to have you with us tonight here with Greg and Stephanie Schlitter Ignite Radio Live every Tuesday at p.m. and uh, Saturdays at 2. In the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Lord, we avail our hearts and our minds to you. Flood us with your grace, your mercy, your love. Help us to live fully the lives you call us to and to be instruments of your grace to others without exceptions. We love you, Jesus. We desire to love you all the more. Open our hearts and minds to all you desire for us. We ask this in your name, through Christ our Lord. Amen. In the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen.